0: this is the last coffee house where we read everything left right and center this is the jordan peterson reading list and this is where it gets serious very serious beyond good and evil by friedrich nietzsche published in 1886 now just to set the scene make sure we have the right mise en scene for talking about this book friedrich nietzsche is the only person from antiquity up through modern times the only person that i have an intellectual respect for He was writing in the 19th century, of course he had an ignominious end, but prior to that had written some of the most incendiary works in history, and it's a complete disservice to try to do this in an episode, and as I was reading it, I was thinking that it's just we are going to have to do, at some point, a whole series on just what Nietzsche has to say, and I don't think that people are ready. ...yet to really put all this stuff together. So it's going to be some time... We're going to try to get through all these reading lists. We're going to get a base of knowledge. We're going to establish the way that we attack ideas. And then we're going to get to a point... ...where we can actually talk in the right... ...proper, effectual way. So that we can get somewhere. Now, having laid that... ...foundation... (laughs) So reading Beyond Good and Evil... ...reading Nietzsche in general is more an experience... ...than it is like reading other kinds of books... It almost makes me lament the fact that there are other books, but he does. There are some tethered aspects of this that we can go through so you understand at least what Nietzsche's talking about and whether it's something that you would want to read. Of course, whether you want to or not, you should be. So, moving on to the contents. What are the contents of this book? He starts early on in the book. He attacks previous philosophers now it's it develops into an aphoristic style there's some 296 sections some of the sections can just be a sentence <laughs> or a couple of sentences some of the sections go on at length about a given topic and there isn't necessarily a direct progression or lineage when it comes to the building of ideas so early on though he does attack previous philosophers so he's going at going at the group it's like an Eminem and diss track he spits some hot bars against Descartes, Spinoza, Kant, Schopenhauer. He has a problem with this idea of good and evil, the good man and the evil man being a dichotomy. He attacks the ideas of truth in general and free will in general. Especially supports from my end, I especially support the, the latter attack. He describes it as the hundred times refuted theory of free will. And then he goes into, and he has just a a couple of chunks that talk about each of these philosophers and what they got wrong. He describes what he's trying to usher in and the people that he's trying to engender as free spirits and says that they are investigators to the point of cruelty. (laughs) I can certainly see that and understand it. There's such a powerful truth to that statement. And as most people will know about his writings, this idea of the will to power being the true explanation of all behavior... And he challenges the idea that universal morality exists and says it's wrong to think that there's the requirement of one morality for all and that it's actually detrimental to great men. I can't remember the specific phrase that he used in this part. I tried to look for it again when I was going back through it, but that the requirement of a single morality, just one broad morality that governs everybody is detrimental to greatness or great men. He talks about religion to an extensive degree and there's just so much I can't even begin to describe how incredibly packed, and that's why I want to do a whole series, how incredibly packed just any given aphorism is when it comes to the ideas behind it. And how different it is in a way of communicating philosophy and perspectives on political ideas. It seems so base to even talk say the word political in this sense. So most people have probably heard of master versus slave moralities, and he goes into those a little bit, and that domination, appropriation, and injury to the weak are not necessarily morally wrong. There are large tracts that aren't all necessarily incorrect about women and discussing the differences between men and women. And a lot has been made of the use of a certain party in a certain area of the world at a certain time in the 20th century in some of Nietzsche's discussions about Jews now most of what has been used was appropriated and twisted by his sister after his death and in fact in this book at a certain point and obviously there's a lot more to all of this you'd have to look at all of his writings and and try to pin down each one of these ideas that are coming out of him which is a monumental task on its own i i can't begin to describe just how packed so much of what he has to say is, and how potentially foolish it might be, like trying to nail down a David Lynch movie, (laughs) how potentially foolish it might be to try to explicate in the normal way that you would like a scientific paper that's just trying to describe the behavior of atoms or something. There's something else going on here. But at a certain point, he talks about how Jews are the strongest and most resilient and most capable race of people. I think the best way to do it is just I'll give you some quotes and I didn't write it down here but I can't remember if if the the quote about the abyss if you stare too long into gaze too long into an abyss and the abyss will gaze back into you and I swear there is no time in my history that I don't remember knowing that quote whatever age it doesn't matter I'm pretty sure the doctor read it to me when I came out of the womb and I've just known it ever since and I don't think the doctor was trying to make a joke there. (laughs) (laughs) That is untoward for this topic. (laughs) Anyway, but I do have some other quotes. Uh, Quote, Madness is something rare in individuals, but in groups, parties, peoples, and ages, it is the rule. End quote. That's another one. I can't remember a time where I didn't know that quote. Here's another one. Quote, One loves ultimately one's desires, not the thing desired. End quote. And one of the things about Nietzsche is there is... Packed into these bite-sized chunks, or in the bigger chunks when it comes to the aphoristic style and the sections in this book, there can be just this incredible wisdom, these ideas about human behavior and pathology and psychology, this over-broad and under-girded, just all of the things can be packed into these ideas that he's trying to get across here. One loves ultimately one's desires, not the thing desired. I mean, what can you take from that when it comes to every level of possible understanding or interpretation or application, whether it's just direct human psychology, whether it's just a philosophical idea, whether it's something to get somebody motivated, (laughs) you know, it's, I mean, there is so much just in that little thing. Another quote, the text has disappeared under the interpretation, end quote, and that seems like something that could be straightforwardly understood, or something that could have much grander implications to it, and that's what's so great about Nietzsche's writing, is that it's not just a simple, okay, let's describe this empirical thing, and so it's not judged on those standards. It's a different kind of communication about wisdom, tradition, Traditions in philosophical writings and what we need to do going forward. Quote, objection, evasion, joyous distrust, and love of irony are signs of health. Everything absolute belongs to pathology. End quote. Thank you. Are you kidding me? Again, I have to take it in the same vein when it comes to the communication and the way that these layers work when it comes to reading Nietzsche. But if only everybody could understand this. Objection, evasion, joyous distrust, and love of irony are signs of health. Everything absolute belongs to pathology. And it's, it's difficult, and we'll get into it when I go to my analysis. I know I'm an- analyzing now anyway, but still, <laughs> we'll get into it. But it's... There are difficult things when it comes to Nietzsche's writings, and there are things that you have to take issue with, but, Jesus, the method of delivery here, <laughs> and the things behind it, there is truth in the midst of all this stuff, and it's so difficult to be able to argue against or reject even chunks of it. O sancta simplicitiatis, in what strange simplification and falsification man lives, end quote. Again, yes... <laughs> And what strange simplification, falsification man lives. And here, just a a chunkier idea of the way the writing works and what he has to say about certain things, just so we can get an idea of how this man talked and thought and what he was trying to get across to people. So, quote, The mightiest men have hitherto always bowed reverently before the saint, as the enigma of self-subjugation and utter voluntary privation. Why did they thus bow? They divined in him. And as it were behind the questionableness of his frail and wretched appearance, the superior force which wished to test itself by such a subjugation, the strength of will in which they recognized their own strength and love of power and knew how to honor it. They honored something in themselves when they honored the saint." I mean, the profundity in that alone, I know because of my less than pristine, but of course nearly pristine reading of that, people might have gotten gotten chunked out of it at some point while I was reading it. Even just the last sentiment, they honored something in themselves when they honored the saint. I mean, obviously, you can try to attach this millstone, which in this particular case, because of the structure of how this works, attach this millstone of psychological understanding or just reducing it to current understandings psychology or how how any of that works or whatever but i think there's a whole there are a whole section of layers that you have to deal with when it comes to nietzsche's writing and this makes me kind of, it makes me appreciate a lot of what jordan peterson had to say about things in a broader light because sometimes he'd be really frustrating because the two people would be talking past each other like with sam harris they would talk past each other because they're not talking the same language just let me get into my analysis and we'll we'll get into that a little bit. Okay, so my analysis, the things that concern me, it's a precursor to postmodernism. One of the things that Nietzsche stressed was that the idea of an absolute truth, in whatever terms you want to put that, is something that is inimical to the philosophical wisdom that he's trying to impart. You know, the, the free entities or whatever he described it as. The free spirits, <laughs> the free spirits, the new philosophers, what he and what he was trying to usher in, did not accept this idea of these universals when it came to morality or these uni- these universals when it came to truth and that's something that you could download on a postmodernism or cultural marxism and oh, that's another thing this this i went in, on the rational wiki i read the description of cultural marxism and it was so childish and off base but okay, we don't need to get into that now. Maybe we'll talk about it later. But postmodernism in general. So postmodernism is like everybody has their own universe, man. And, and nothing means anything. And there's no truth. And everybody, you know, everybody's culture is perfect. And all this all this other kind of nonsense, the way that it's used. And, uh, you know, there's the Lacanian and Derrida, that French postmodernist kind of thing where everything is so twisted around and up its own. You just don't have any means for making something meaningful out of it. But it gets ground down into it's something that's a really esoteric philosophical idea that's trying to reduce language down to its intimate parts, you know, its smallest pieces and figure out what ideas are and all that sort of thing it gets just applied with this broad brush to society. And you have postmodernists in society saying things like other cultures, whatever they're doing, whether they're defecating in the streets or whatever, they have the same exact value as a culture that doesn't defecate in the streets or <laughs> takes care of cleanliness, Uh, so you can see that kind of a precursor in Nietzsche's writings here, and it wouldn't be the first time that somebody misappropriated something that Nietzsche had to say, but still. So the thing that I wanted to get to is that people communicate in different languages not just in like French and English, where you have, you can speak to each other in French or English, and you'll be able to pull out some of the meaning. And sometimes you can actually think that you understand what the other person is saying, because they're very similar. But most of the time, you're just going to misinterpret, talk past and end up worse off by the conversation. So the same thing can happen in the same language. But when you're talking in different ways, with different kind of meta languages, so you can be talking in a Emotional terms and one person could be talking in emotional terms and in empirical terms and they could be talking past each other but you can have just like with French and English because they're both romantic languages you can have overlap between the emotional and the empirical where certain signifiers within each of those kinds of languages will stand out and you'll interpret them with your language instead of with their language <laughs> so you'll have trouble with that and then a kind of broader meta meta language you'd have to consider so many other aspects of the way people communicate so you could have a the way that you're trying to speak somebody be designed to impart truth designed to effectuate a result get them to do something or be designed to produce the right type of human that's going to be a free spirit or a superman which would be the later term or when i'm not sure when that term arose or when he started using that so you could be doing far, very different things when it comes to how you're communicating as opposed to the reductive idea that just whatever you're saying is just communicating the content of what you're saying. So there, there's a lot of other stuff that's going on here. So at the end of the day, we clown ourselves by pretending we speak directly to each other. We're slaves to the mediators that are in between the way that we're speaking and the way that we're communicating. But ultimately, and I can't keep this going. I mean, I won't, like I said, I have to do a full series on this. It's just something else. Categorically, it's something different from what everybody else is doing. So Nietzsche is able to tell an epic story while still imparting philosophical wisdom. It's it's like nothing else out there. I'm I'm just gonna leave it there for now. This is the last coffee house. <laughs> And we are going to move on from here and so we can get to the next books and make sure we laid that foundation of knowledge and idea and understanding and attacking ideas. Lay that foundation out and then we'll be able to move on to, to bigger things. But everybody, anybody, thank you very much for listening. I hope all is well. It seems like there's this flowering just at the tail end of spring, ironically. <laughs> that we're going to be able to open our societies back up with a new threat but hopefully new resolve and and we'll see how far it can possibly take us okay thank you very much for listening i'll see you on the next one okay bye